coffee. What is it about coffee that makes it so damn good? Maybe it's the smell of coffee brewing that brings back that new to recovery feeling that we got when we first stepped into a meeting. Maybe it's the idea of holding on to one of the only things that still works for kickstarting our day. Maybe it's the way it brings us together, another one of the many things we have in common. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwash Coffee the perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwash Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all coffee proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwash Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is the higher powder. It's dark, smoky, and rich, and gives me just enough kick to really get into my day. Right now, you can go to brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Clean your bean with Brainwash. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. And together we are... Together. The Other Side of Hell Podcast! Oh. I was going to say together again, but... Welcome. Uh, I thought we were doing a chant. <laughs> can we try it again? Can we... Can we do one, two, three, and say the other side of hell podcast? Yes. Okay, ready? One. Wait, let's count together too. Ready? One, one two, two, three. The, the other, other side, side of hell, hell podcast. podcast. You didn't do it. <laughs> I thought that this was a show are, about. Are we yelling it? Spirit and unity. Okay, let's try again. No, let's just say it. Ready? Okay. okay. One, two, three. The, the other, other side, side of hell, hell podcast. podcast. Oh man, this is the best show ever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Rocking it. Yeah. I Can I ask you something real quick? Are yeah. you still alcoholic? Oh, the age old question. Yeah. You you've been, what? you've been in sobriety for five years. Yeah. You haven't had a drink in over five years. Man. <clears throat> you haven't had a pill. Well, it's been longer for a drink, right? It's yeah. Been, it's you haven't longer, had a pill. For, yeah. Yeah. You haven't had a pill for I five years. I haven't had a drink in seven. I haven't had a, a, a pill or anything that affects me from the neck up. Yeah. And over five. And are you still an alcoholic? <clears throat> Recovered alcoholic. Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah, the answer is yes. Yes. And how do you know? Evidence. Yeah. I'm have, still an alcoholic. I have too, plenty I thought, of evidence. I thought, it, I thought I should get that out of the way, right out of the way. Because sometimes, sometimes I have a hard time identifying, like, I'll forget that I am an alcoholic mm. all the time, right? And so, well, what do you mean when you say that? Like, how do you forget? I just, well, when I first started getting sober, like that's all I thought about was being sure, an alcoholic. Sure, right. And so, like, now I just got to re- remember that I identify as an alcoholic, and that helps me set up for the conversation that we're about to have on breaking cycles. Mm, yeah, you know, which I think is a great topic because there was a lot that I had to to break through. And we got the topic based off of the war story that we have today. Jonathan. Yeah, from Jonathan. And we're repping some of his merch, you know. So Jonathan's story was great. You're going to want to stick around for it because the dude went through some shit. 
and he found some solutions for that shit, but he had to break some of the cycles. He had to break some patterns and, you know, you know, start a new way of thinking, new way of living. And that's what we got to do here. Well, and the other part of that is like, he had to make some hard choices. Yeah. A lot of people don't make the choices that he made. Yeah. They'll like, stay in the shit. Well, because that's the easy thing to do. Yeah. It's, it's the comfortable thing, even though it's unhealthy, toxic and harmful. It's what we're used to. Yeah. So like we, you know, we stay in it because it's, it's what's comfortable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like his story was great. And I think breaking the cycle is definitely a, a worthy topic because that's exactly what we do, you know, in recovery is we, we break that cycle of addiction. We break, we break our own negative behaviors mm-hmm. by, by stopping, you know, like we have to, and it's not enough to just stop. We have to interrupt it. Right. Yep. We have to, we have to do something, you know, to stop our, our thinking from heading in that direction. Yeah. Or when we are thinking about it, we have to disrupt that. Yeah. And, and, and not only for ourselves, but for like, our family, the, the lifestyle that we're going to be leading for here on out, Mm -hmm. you know, what would have worked before will not work now. What worked for my parents will not work for me. Mm -hmm. You know, the behaviors that they had, I have the choice to either pick up and use or stop and break that, that chain. And, And I think that's a big part of what breaking the cycle is, is breaking that habitual family cycle of what we're seeing, you know, and in the drug world, the alcohol, alcoholic world is just riddled with negative cycles, right? It's riddled with, with negativity and, and like staying in situations that just do not serve for a greater purpose. Mm -hmm. And so breaking those come, comes at a cost, right? It comes, it's difficult to do so. And so like, for me, one of the first things that I had to, to, the cycle that I had to break was negative thinking, you know, yeah, on a consistent basis. And, yeah. and before I could do that, I had to recognize that I was doing that. Sure. I'd recognize that I was doing all that mm-hmm. shit. You know, I had to recognize that there's something to the way that I use and drink that seems to not be beneficial to my overall health and joy. Yeah. Well, even more so, like even, even to take it beyond that, like I, it had to hurt enough that I wanted to change it. Right. And then once it hurt enough that I I was tired of living that way, then I get to look at it and say, okay, like why, why am I doing this stuff? Yeah. Why? I mean, you know, what is it with this behavior that I think is, is going to get me what I'm after Yeah. and, and, and go from there. So, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I look at I look at my own life, and I remember what it was like to 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 be caught up to be caught up with the drinking game, the pill game, and I, I make this little wince as I say it because I'm like, well, I remember just like two weeks ago, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like being caught up in like the obsession to to eat, to binge, to to yeah. you know, like, and and you know, I I don't have any problem saying that like I'm coming off of this this, uh, you know, sort of like two week bender yeah. as far as food goes, just some negative, um, eating habits that, that returned and, and every day was like, no, I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start right. tomorrow. And even though that day I'm like, I can't have another day like this. And then the next day I'd be like, I can't have another day like this, you know? Yeah. And it just reminds me just how, harmful and destructive the word tomorrow can be. Ooh. 
yeah. you know, in, in my own, in my own recovery and my own thinking. So, you know, breaking the cycle, like what did I have to do in order to, to stop that? Well, luckily I surround myself with people who have like-minded <laughs> thinking and struggles who, who struggle the same way. And if I don't take the action, they'll often take action for me, you yeah. know? And they'll call me and say, dude, I'm struggling. Yeah. And of course. I was. I'm talking about you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's okay to share, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I'm definitely human. Right. On, on this side of the table. Like none of this stuff is perfect, but you know, we do have a program and part of that program is being transparent with one another after the pain gets enough. Like, unfortunately, that's one of the, the patterns that I have in my life mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take, you know, it's been a long time since I had a drink, but I, I remember when we were talking a little bit about this before the show, I remember when I was trying to get sober, you know, for the, for the years that I was trying to right. get sober yeah. for the years that I was trying to get sober. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would get into a situation where I'd end up like going to jail. And while I was in jail, I'd be like, Hey, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have that, that, that toilet prayer, that last drink prayer in jail or that whatever. Firm resolution. Yeah. I'm done. I, I didn't know how to be done, but I knew I was fucking done. I was tired of getting arrested. I was tired of getting in fights or whatever the case is. I'd sober up in jail and then I would get out, and a lot of times, you know, there I'd been to jail so many times that every time I got out was different. Sometimes I'd get out and go right back to it. Mm. But a lot of the times I would get out and I would have a, a firm, as you say, resolution mm-hmm. to not drink. Yeah. You know, because I knew if I didn't drink, I wouldn't go back to the drugs. Right. And so the first opportunity to smoke would come up and I'd because I always quit smoking in jail too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like where I'm from, you couldn't smoke in jail. So I was like, ah, fuck, I'm in jail. I might as well quit smoking. And then the first opportunity to smoke would come up and, and that would be my first fail. Yep. I would smoke. And, you know, I would consider how I felt and, and, you know, time would go on a week or two weeks or whatever, you know, and, and I would be doing good, maybe get a job and I'd get my first paycheck after not working for a while and by God, I deserve something. <laughs> and I think yeah. to myself, I could probably handle a beer and I would go and I would have a beer. What the fuck good is that? Right. Well, it's, it's, it, it's good in the, in the, in the form that I have this thing inside of me that's cunning, baffling and powerful right. that wants to separate me from you. Right. The, the brain that is evolved to keep me alive with the mind that wants to kill me. And so I would have that one beer and I would leave the bar or wherever it was, patting myself on the back at how strong my will was. <laughs> Got such a strong will. See, I can have one beer and I'm so good at having just one beer that I think today I'm going to go have just one more beer. But I might as well like have two. <laughs> because Might as well have one, <clears throat> one more, one more beer. Because the experiment with, with the one went so well. And then it would be off to the fucking races. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the food, you know, for me, that pattern. And so I had to eventually break that cycle. You know, I had to break the relapse cycle, mm-hmm. you know, I had to, or else I would have continued in it to this day. And so recognizing that takes some work, but, um, eventually it happened. 
right? Eventually it happened again in jail. Right. Yeah. Uh, for me, that's where it always ends up. But, but I had to, to, to like look at the life patterns that I had for a very long time. Right. And see that that was a common pattern in my life, mm -hmm. you know? And then through sobriety, you know, my life today is more about the sobriety side of my um, recovery yeah. than it is about the addiction side of my recovery. Cause I've been on this side of the table for quite a while. Um, I'm kind of disconnected from what my, myself was as a using addict, right? I've been over here for over nine years and <clears throat> I, I try to stay close to my past so that I don't forget my past, but I use my recovery in different ways now. Right. Like with the food, right. With parenting, with, with, um, my career. Yeah. Right. Like I, because I still have alcoholic and drug addicted tendencies. Mm -hmm. I have to go through and I still have to check my patterns. I still have to go through, even though I'm not using and drinking, I'm using emotions or, or I'm using disconnection or, you know, checking out you know, like through, through the phone or I mean, whatever vice I may have today. Oh, sure. And so yeah. I have to watch those patterns now. Netflix, Netflix, Hulu, <laughs> series, N name food. It. Yeah. And, and so, you know, when, I, when we started talking about this, one of the things that I really thought about was my family patterns, right? Breaking the cycle through my family. And that's one of the things that, that Jonathan talked about, you know, was, was breaking that family cycle. Right. Right. So what, what comes to mind for you when I say that? Like, well, that's exactly, that's exactly what comes to mind is sort of the big picture of breaking the cycle because, and and that's, you know, how Jonathan talked about it was, you know, breaking the cycle of, he came from a home where, you know, there was a lot of, uh, distance. Um, mm -hmm. he didn't know, well, and they'll get into it, they'll get into it, but, um, I don't want to give too much of his story away, but, um, you know, basically, he just didn't want to be what he saw his, in his own parents, right. right? And so he made some some choices to consciously break that cycle. And I think that that's what I think about is I think about you know the cycle that's sort of handed down to us, yeah. Like the 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 family life cycle. Like in my family, there's not a lot of addiction. There's not a lot of. Uh, um, um, alcoholism or any problems like that. Like I'm kind of a rare bird in that sense. Um, but I would say that there is a, uh, a very prominent, um, sense of low self-worth. Right. And, and that I see that, um, in myself, I don't, you know, I can see it as being something that was gifted to me unconsciously. Sure. And, uh, and so I, you know, I have every intention of breaking that cycle with my own children, right. you know, um, things like that. So I think it's, it's, you know, when we talk about breaking the cycle, it's like being consciously aware of those own character defects within yourself, um, and consciously deciding to, to, uh, to stop passing those traits on yes. to the people that you teach, or that uh, that look up to you or admire you, mm -hmm. and so by by your own actions, you're you're discontinuing what could be a negative behavior. Yeah, for sure. And you know when you're when you're talking about that, you know, and I think about my own life. You know, one of the things that I recognized later in life, and as I became a parent, you know, um, 
I recognize that 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 the entire generation, it seems, of my parents when I was a kid, when they were raising people, were just winging it. Like, right. like everybody was just fucking winging everything. Like, like, like there wasn't a ton of intention. And, and most of the parents that I know that I even talk to today that are from that generation are still just doing what their parents did without <clears throat> any question of that. And I got to ask, like, is that working? Right. You know, is it right. working? And, right. and like, I mean, it must be to a point because we're all here, you mm-hmm. know, we're, I mean, we're, we're alive. Uh, what what more quality of life we may may or may not have is is you know unforeseen. We we'll never know. But one of the things that I definitely want to do with my life is live it with intention, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want to have purpose and I want to live my life on purpose. And so that's one of the things that I did in my own life was as far as breaking a pattern was trying to have a plan. You know, trying to decide like okay now that I'm sober. Like, how do I maximize my life now in sobriety? Because I've been kind of given a second chance, like this gift of life where we've, we've said it and we've, we've heard it in the rooms and we've heard it in the recovery movement. You know, we're the fortunate ones where we kind of get to live two lives in one lifetime, yeah. right? Like, yep. we, like we have our old life where there was a lot of self-destruction and, and negativity and like winging it and Mm -hmm. and doing all that stuff and then we have our new life where like everything's a little brighter and the the opportunity to to grow and like have our dreams come true and and those kind of things are a little more prevalent and so we really are lucky to have something to contrast against and so being able to look at like the way I had those survival patterns in my addiction and the way that I can live my life with intention today is very, very beneficial for me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I love that. So <clears throat> like what are, when you, when, when we're talking about breaking these cycles and we're talking about trying to come up with the way to identify this stuff, like you're in a 12 step program mm-hmm. yeah. or two, yeah, one or two. Right. Yeah. A couple. Yeah. Or have been like, do you think that like how have have you been able to identify some of those those cycles through kind of 12 step recovery? Uh, Well, a lot of it, a lot of it does come from uh, from step one in any of those, which is, you know, I'm powerless over this substance or or whatever the case is. Um, Alcohol, drugs, food powerlessness right like obviously this this thing has control of me so looking at that evidence and sort of seeing like what my behavior is around it it's like well it seems like every time i do x i get y you know why i can i can (laughs) yeah i can why i can see the math here you know which is when i do x and i add y i get z Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter how how different I, I look at it or how differently I play it out when I do X and I add Y, I get Z, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I, I continue to see it. I continue to see the evidence in all of this behavior and, you know, it's not likely to change if I continue to just do it. Yeah. If I, you know, the definition of insanity. Sure. Right? Um, and, uh, and so for me, like, that's one of the biggest things in step one is just taking a, a, a real hard look at all of, all of my actions and behaviors around this particular substance. Like, well, it would seem as though based on all the evidence in front of me that I am indeed, you know, an alcoholic 
and that I am powerless and that there is a cycle here that continues to happen whenever I put this in my body and I, I approach this with this attitude, which in my case is I'm only going to have one. <laughs> I'm only going to have a beer. I'm only going to have, you know, a pill or, or more so what it is usually is I'm only going to have this one night. I'm only just going to do this one night and yeah. then, and then, you know, it'll be out of my system and I'll be good. Yeah. And then the next night it's like, I mean, I'm just only going to have these two nights, you know? And it's like, well, <laughs> obviously there's a pattern here where if I go into it and I do one thing and I, and I think that it's going to be one night, I never know when it's going to end. Yeah. And that's the truth. And so, you know, being able to look at that hardcore from that, from that equation, um, is how I recognize, you know, this cycle. Yeah. And then going, okay, so what do I do about it? Well, I have to disrupt it. I yeah. have to disrupt the cycle, you know? Um, and that takes me into a little bit more of the spiritual solution. It takes me to, you know, the tools that we have in our toolbox. It takes me to, you know, dis disrupting the thought patterns in any way I can, making a phone call, whatever the case is, you know? Um, but ultimately, you know, like recognizing it is step one. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. A lot of this, I mean, it's so subconscious, so much of this stuff, you know, it's just so, so unforeseen, unseen at the, at the forefront of the mind, right? Like mm -hmm. it's it, so often I end up back where I wanted to leave from almost like I'm lost in the woods, you know? And, and, and like you said, I have to pull out that, <clears throat> I have to pull out that box of tools and, and go through them and, and, and use them. Right. Yeah. Until I find the one that gets me back on the path. Right. And so like, like being able to disrupt those patterns, you know, it comes from a place of, like you said, acceptance and then willingness to change those things. Willingness. And, and yeah. am I willing to do the amount of work that it's going to take, you know, and, and Jonathan talks about doing some hard stuff in his story that, that reminds me of some of the things that I do with my guys early on, like, because one of the, one of the most common causes of, of relapse that I've seen are, are people remaining in situations that are harmful to their growth. And one of those things is like being in a negative relationship. Right. And I know for me, like with my ex-wife, there was so much dysfunction there because mm -hmm. we used together, we would fight, I would leave. We would both come down a little bit. We would talk. I would go back. We would use together. We would fight. Right. right. I would leave. And, and that's a, that's a real common pattern in dysfunctional relationships. Right. And, and I didn't, you know, I didn't get married to get divorced. Like I married her because I loved her and I thought it was a good thing, but I didn't have the right intentions behind it in the first place. Like, like there were some real primal urges behind it, you know, cause she was really attractive. So right off the rip, I'm getting into the relationship over some selfish behaviors, right? Like I'm thinking of me, right? You know, I'm going against some warning signs that I already know that I can see these red flags. And I'm like, 
pushing to the side, which is another pattern of mine, mm -hmm. right? And I get into this relationship anyway, and we start this cycle of abuse with each other, right? And until I was able to get out of that, I wasn't able to stop that cycle. And that's one of the things that I think we have to do in order to break the cycle is like get some of these triggers and get some of these people and some of these negative situations out of our lives. And it's not always easy, especially when you're like uh, home, like you have to stay in this place or you're going to be homeless. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I think that's where a lot of people find themselves. Yeah. Or, or if I leave my wife, what about my kids? Right. The kids, mm -hmm. you know, I can't stay in this. I can't, I can't leave this job. What'll happen to my insurance? Right. You know? And so it's such a, it's such a crazy thing when you ask yourself, like, what lengths are you willing to go? Yeah. You know, what lengths am I willing to go in order to have a better quality of life? Mm -hmm. What am I willing to do? And some of those answers are really, really hard. And that's what I think is so beautiful about the recovery movement that we have, especially on this platform and in person, is that there's so much support. And, and whatever your story is, somebody's been through it. Right. Somebody's made the decision to leave a bad relationship or you know, quit that job or move out of that house or whatever the case is that, that you think may be holding you back, but getting to the point where you're willing to do that stuff comes only through a lot of pain. Right. And so, um, <clears throat> in order to cut those new, new neural pathways, mm -hmm. right. Comes repetition, just like repeating right. the yeah. pattern that you're in, repeating the solution that you need is twice as important right you know? and even then you know like it's it's important to you know not only stay consistent and repeat that but expect to have to repeat it and and expect that you're still going to think about the old way of doing things yeah. and that there might be times where you do slip into an old you know an old cycle or an old thought pattern or an old um you know behavior because it's it's deep, man. It's, it's it's deep. It's deeply ingrained into us. It's a lifetime, right? A lifetime of thought process, of thinking and, errors, and <laughs> yeah, living living without a solution for the for the majority of your life, right? And then all of a sudden, there is a solution that you're experimenting with. You know, it must be circled back to. You know, that's why. You know, one of the suggestions is 90 and 90, right? Right. In a, in a 12 step type recovery is 90 and 90. You go to 90 meetings in 90 days. That's to repeat that pattern right. long enough to, for it to start to grab a hold. You know, mm -hmm. that's why treatment centers are, you know, I, I, I've heard of 28 day programs working for some people, but for most of the people I know, they needed 60 days or longer. You know, for me, I, I needed, I needed four months in treatment for it to even kind of work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, I need a multiple attempts. Yeah. yeah more yeah. than once. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and how many of us are retreads in recovery? Like we attempted to, to get sober and like failed, attempted and failed, attempted mm -hmm. and failed because we kept experimenting with the one drink thing that we were talking about at the beginning yeah exactly yeah it comes back to that uh that just that one thought the uh the the craving giving into the one craving and then being caught up in the obsession yeah. groundhog's you day know. for the alcoholic again many many years yeah. many many years it was like that you know and 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 you know i think about that too and i i, I think that it's 
not only do we get into this cycle of negative behavior, but I think sometimes those underlying issues come from a cycle that's been given to us, um, you know, and, and being stuck in that negative thought pattern that, that, that stems from early on trauma or, yeah. you know, early on, um, um, issues with, uh, with relationships or, or whatever the case may be where, you know, something that happened to us early on will get us thinking one way about ourselves. The solution becomes, um, you know, a drink and then a drink will get us into this negative outcome. And then all of a sudden we're, we're stuck in this negative cycle because of, of, you know, early onset trauma or, or, the trauma that is passed down to us, yeah. you know, that we inherit. And family trait trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. Family trait trauma. That is, has Grandpa had it. Mm-hmm. Great grandpa had it. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like I hear more and more and I think that this is comforting, like, because I, I want to be sure that we talk about this in a way that's, um, that's realistic and, and ultimately healthy, but, like, I, I think that uh, when we talk about, like, breaking this cycle, like, looking at the way that our parents were, the way that, um, you know, we see maybe more prevalent in society than than is not. And I'm thinking mainly about just uh, the way that um, we were raised. Mm-hmm. And we want to look at that differently now and say, you know, like, I don't want to raise my kids the way I was raised. I want to right. break that cycle, um, that negative cycle. And so I think that, um, you know, like in your case, I know you've made it a very, a very strong point to, to raise your kids a little bit differently than yeah. you were raised, you know? And, and when I think about that, I think about, you know, the, the many, many people that we talk to on the show that have had quite a bit of abuse, quite a bit of alcoholism in their early childhood and, uh, and have made it a point to, you know, make sure that that's not anything that their children experience. Right. And I think that it's important when we talk about this, that we say, you know, like I, for in my case, I can only speak for myself, but I'm not holding anything against my parents. Right, you know? right, like, right, right. Like I don't like they did the best they could. Right. Like it is not their fault. Um, they didn't do anything wrong. They they did the best they could. They didn't have a playbook. They didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And and um, you know, like luckily, I'm in a position because I've gone through the things that I have to recognize that. Um, that it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And that there is an alternative to the way that things happen and that I can make a choice to break that right. cycle. Um, and that it's not easy, but right. you know, uh, it's possible. Yeah. Very well said. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, because yeah, they, they were doing the best they could. And, and fortunately you have the ability to examine, reflect, and then approach, right? So you can examine what they did or how, how it was done. You can reflect on how well that worked for you or them based on what you know about mental wellness, emotional health, emotional, you know, like, like joy on a, on a personal level, because we study that stuff for ourselves, right? So we can go back and we can reflect on that with, with our family 
and then we can approach it from a position of, well, I can, I can either go back to what they were doing because that's automatic mm-hmm. or I can try something different, which is going to be harder, mm-hmm. but it's an option. Right. You know, it's definitely an option. And it, and it's that way with everything in our lives, I think, you know, with our sobriety, with our diets, with our careers, anything that we can observe, reflect and approach is, is, you know, really worth doing that with. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Like observe, yeah. reflect and approach on everything in your life right. so that you can make a, uh, a sound and, and thoughtful decision on how to move forward with the rest of your life because mm-hmm. your life fucking matters. Right. Like, like it's easy for me to sit back and like observe life around me and separate myself from the miracle that that is. Right. Like, like, Oh yeah, the world is full of life and that's great. The birds are cool and other humans are great, but I am that same thing. And I, and I devalue myself mm. from, mm from being a part of that miraculous thing. And so if I can bring forth a greater awareness within myself that will bring greater joy into the world of life around me, like it's definitely worth doing. It's worth putting in that extra work. And then if I can create within my home and within my, my circle, the ability to teach awareness in that, what an even greater gift to give the world. Right. right? Like, yeah. Like our lives were so fucked up for so long. That's what mm-hmm. drug addiction and alcoholism is. It's mm-hmm. fucking darkness and just fucked up pain and confusion and, you know, just icky. No goodness. Like, right. It's not, it's not no, great. No goodness. Yeah. yeah it's like not that. great yeah. to be uh, a, a drug addict, you know, and, and um, it definitely didn't start that way. And I think, you know, for, for whatever reason, when I say that the addict in my mind goes, well, you used to have fun. Well, yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's a constant battle to remind myself that you were trying to fucking kill me addict. Right. And you were trying to make everybody in my life around me miserable. Like if I can step back and see it from a second person view, trying to make me fucking miserable and Mm -hmm. I'm going to do everything I can to, to, carve a new neural pathway and a new pattern in my life so that the cycle of self-harm, self-abuse and self-hatred is broken completely mm-hmm. from everything that I am, you know? Yeah. It's good to remember. Very, uh, yeah. I mean, painful place to live, pa- painful place to live. And, and one thing that's important for me, like when I get there is like, yeah, the addict is going to talk to me every once in a while. It's just going to yeah. happen. <laughs> Talks a lot. Yeah. But it's important for me to calls you every now and then to separate myself from that. It calls me all the all the time. <laughs> but I separate myself, and I and 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 uh, and I'm able to sort of identify myself as the one who's listening, not the one who's talking. Ooh, I like that. And uh, and and by doing so, I separate myself to the point where I can tell that thing to shut the fuck up. Yeah, you know, like, dude. Yeah, I get it. You're there. You're yeah. not going anywhere, but you don't get to drive today. Yeah. You know, like, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So, just had that thought. <laughs> well, it's, it's important to know yourself, you know? It really is. Even your addict. It's very important to know your enemy. I feel like I know him really well. But it's still fucking oh, yeah, I mean, tricky. He's still there, yeah. yeah. Like, he's not going anywhere. Like, like fucking comes up with... with New old tricks all the time to get me, yeah, pondering. 
Well, and that, I mean, that just comes back to like your, your question at the very beginning. It's like, am I still an alcoholic? Well, evidently, (laughs) you know, I get, I get, I get signs and reminders all the time. Like, you know, like I, first of all, it's important for me to go to meetings and identify as an alcoholic for just that reason. Like I, 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 I should never forget the fact that that's just there, right? that that's going to happen. But second of all, like it will come out in my behavior. Like I'll get into a a fight with my wife or, um, you know, something to where I'm being irrational. I'm snapping. It's because I'm insecure. I'm, you know, just acting or reacting instead of responding. And, and I can see that my character defects are coming out. I'm being impatient. Um, you know, I'm feeling threatened. Um, I start getting into self pity, like whatever the case is, like the, the alcoholic in me will rear its head every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And in those situations or those instances, I'm able to go, well, I guess I'm still an alcoholic. Yeah. And I guess there's still work to do. Yeah. And that's okay. I'm never going to be done. There's never going to be a finish line. Yeah. I'm never going to be perfect. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep trying to do the best I can. Yeah. And, you know, like by doing so, like I get a little bit better, you know, I keep chipping away. I learn a little bit more. And like what a lesson in humility every time that that thing comes up, every time it comes up and says something to me or I act out in a way that I have to apologize for later or whatever the case is, like I get to go. All right. Cool. Cool. Still an alcoholic, you know, like this is, this is my, my dose of humility for today. This is my dose of patience. This is my dose of this. Like it's the dose of whatever medicine I need, (laughs) Yeah, you know, but what a blessing that is to be in a position to where I can recognize that. Yeah. And, and that, you know, like that's not always the case. Yeah. There's, there's so many. I don't want to like turn it into like a society thing. There are so many people in society, but I'll say that like, you know, we, (laughs) we are the lucky ones that this is why, you know, we, we, we hear people in meetings say, I'm grateful to be an alcoholic Yeah, because I could have gone through my life just blind to all this stuff. Yeah. I could have gone through my life just not aware and, and, and just unconsciously navigating all the ups and downs of life without any real direction or any real, you know, thought plan or, or guidance. Well, luckily I don't have to do that today. And it's because where alcohol, alcoholism led me, you know, it's because of that. And so that's why people say things like, I'm grateful to be an alcoholic. And I can sit here and say, I'm grateful to be an alcoholic. I can't imagine where I would be without it, you know. And, and, and you know, there is um, a lot that I have been able to learn and identify in myself from, like, the cycles that exist within me and the negative behaviors, the negative thought patterns, um, and many of, of those character defects that I've been able to identify and work on as a direct result of being an alcoholic Mm. and, and abusing drugs alcoholically, you know, we could wrap right there, bro. But let's not, I, I get, I just got, you I get so much out of when you share like that, like, 
You know, I love that you brought up humility mm. because I think that's the cornerstone of, of what it takes for change to happen. Right. Like I have to be humble enough to accept that I'm broken enough yeah. that I need to change some shit, you know? And, and the, the really cool thing about being an alcoholic and wanting to change is, is initially we do it for us and then eventually it helps everyone else. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like I wanted to be out of pain, you know? Um, <clears throat> and you know, you take, you take the, the parent that's getting sober for the first time and they, they say, you know, well, I want to do this for my children. And, and that, that again is you wanting to be out of pain because the way your children are affected by your alcoholism is causing you pain because mm. you love your children and you know they love you and your alcoholism is causing them pain and that's causing you pain. So initially, like, you know, being being willing to take a look at that and humble enough to even start the process of saying, I'm fucking broken and yeah. I, I don't know where to go from here. I don't know what to do from here. And I think that's that's a great example of what we're trying to do on this show is like give as many different pathways to a better way of living, you know, um, as we can through our platform, through letting other people tell, tell their stories and the way they succeed in sobriety, because there is so many ways for this thing to change, you know, for, there's so many ways for this thing to work, this sobriety, this recovery, this new way of life, this new way of knowing yourself and breaking the patterns. There's so many different ways to do that. And, like I didn't know them all, right? And yeah. I still don't know them all. Right. And every time somebody comes on and shares a story, I get something new about it. You know, I get to remember that I'm a fucking alcoholic. Yeah. I'm an alcoholic because of the way I use anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? I yeah. found that I'm an alcoholic because of the way that I use and drink. Right. But it turns out I eat that way too. And I live in my ego that way too. And I live in spending money that way too. And I live in and like, um, separation that way too. There's like so many ways that I use my alcoholism and and stuff like that. And so whenever we get somebody on here and they're telling their story and I'm hearing them, you know, be reflective and transparent about what's working for them, I get so much out of it. Right. And that's a sign of humility. And I'm, I'm definitely willing to take what their suggestions are and try them for the for, for myself because I want a better quality of life for me and for everybody around me. And that's what I think sobriety is, right? If you could, what is sobriety? Well, sobri- like sobriety today is a lot different than it, than what it was, you know. Like sobriety to me today means more emotional sobriety than anything, mm-hmm. you know, like that means that I'm well spiritually, mentally, physically, and, you know, in just about every way. Yeah. Um, when I'm, when I'm drinking, I'm obviously not well in any of those things, but I don't <laughs> yeah. have to be drinking to be unwell in those things. Right. And so sobriety to me now means something completely different than it used to. Like being sober at the beginning was just enough because I had to take, I had to take such dramatic action just to be sober that I was generally well in most of those other areas. 
But now I've found that I don't have to take as much action in order to stay sober. Right. But I do have to take as much action or more action in order to be emotionally sober. Right. I like it. And so that, like sobriety today means a lot more than it did. And, and it's a lot more rewarding than it used to be as well. Yeah. Like before, you know, I would see, I would be able to hold my head up high and be able to look people in the eyes. I would be able to, um, navigate a difficult conversation without buckling, you know, or, um, start to pay bills or, you know, like regain some footing financially, um, things like that. Like now sobriety will have like a completely different benefit where it's like, I'm getting promotions. Like my, my relationships with coworkers and people around me are, are, um, you know, super healthy and mm-hmm. I can be depended upon and, um, I can communicate with my wife and, I can, you know, communicate with loved ones and, um, I can share openly and I can be vulnerable and, you know, I, these, these are all gifts of emotional sobriety. Um, and so I think that as sobriety changes for us, so do the, the rewards and the promises that we get, you know, from, from being yeah. sober. Yeah. Very well said. You are a savage, and I appreciate you. All stuff that I needed to hear, bro. Thanks, you man. Know? All this stuff is so good for me. Me all, too. All these, all these topics, you know, and 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 you know, like I said in the beginning, we kind of got this topic from Jonathan's story, and and I'd like to roll into that now because um, Jonathan has such a such an amazing story, and he has such a great program and platform to do you know mm-hmm. also what uh, kind of like what we're doing and and you know just getting a message of change out there because he has changed quite a bit you know and um he's been through some shit and yeah decided he's not going to continue that that's enough that pattern of shit yep you know and culturally you know he brings up his culture he brings up his home he brings up his family, his relationships, his children, his career, his past, his future, his present, all those things. He brings up all those things in his story. And and I love his delivery of it. And, like, I'm really excited to share that with everybody. So yeah. what do you think? Shall we? Let's do it. Roll into Jonathan's war story. So, you know, without further ado, here is Jonathan's war story. Uh, what's up, everybody? My name is uh, Jonathan Alvarez, a.k.a. Grounded Phoenix. Um, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Um, uh, I'm an alcoholic, and I use drugs alcoholically. It all started at the age of 12, guys. Um, Got to start from the beginning. Uh, I did my first line of crystal meth at the age of 12. Around this time, uh, my parents were going through it. My stepdad was, uh, you know, leaving the picture, as you would say. And um, it was tough for me. It was tough for me. Um, Now being sober, I realized that part of, like, where my alcohol use and drug use really stemmed from was from 
culture, one, because I'm Mexican, and another reason is for acceptance. But what really fueled my alcohol uh, use and uh, drug use was my trauma. And I'm going to talk about that later on. But first, um, yeah, I was 12 when I first did my first line of crystal meth. And the day I got home from, from this incident, I come to find out that my dad, my stepdad, was actually not my real dad. I was heartbroken. I was really heartbroken. My whole life up until then, I thought he was my father. And that's when my victimized mindset really, really came out. That's when I, I felt really um, like I really, I couldn't trust anybody. And that's when I felt like, holy shit, I was lied to for this whole period of time. How is life going to be on moving forward? And something inside of me just really felt like, fuck this, you know, fuck everything. Because I was that kid. I was that little boy that was arguing with the other little kids in the playground. Like, you know, like, nah, dude, like my dad's stronger than your dad. My dad is smarter. You know, my dad can lift the car with one arm. You know, like that was me. And when I came to find out that he wasn't my real dad, like it, it crushed me. Right. You know, it really crushed me. So that's where I want to start off. Um, in the Mexican culture, you know, we drink at an early age and it's, it's, it's accepted. It's, um, something that you just do to fit in, to, to socialize, to meet women. And I remember at the age of 12 also was the, my first blackout. It was the first time I remember I was uh, dancing with my aunt. I just remember dropping her on the floor once and I was uh, drinking from everybody else's beer and I was just like so quick to just chug it. And, you know, it's history from there, man. I, I blacked out. I woke up with a hangover every time I went to a quinceanera from then on. I was that kid that was getting dragged out or taken to their mom's house, like throwing up and, and completely blacked out. So it started really early on, um, but I'm going to just move forward now onto my late teens and uh, early 20s, because at this point, I was in the rave scene, you know, and in the rave scene, it was it was super fun. That's when I got into freaking ecstasy. I started rolling. It was fun, you know, meeting people. Uh, and particularly women, you know, that was the time to like hook up with people. But even though I was having so much fun, um, fun wasn't filling my cup. It wasn't fulfilling me on the inside. It was just distracting me from the shit that I really needed to deal with. But at this point, I wasn't really trying to do that. I was just trying to have fun in, in the way that's how I thought I was going to heal myself by popping pills by drinking, by just partying, and just living a really unhealthy lifestyle, not just physically, but emotionally, relationships that I would be in, and, and shit like that. After the rave scene, um, you know, you kind of grow out of the rave scene after a while. Um, once, the, once about the time, uh, once I started, uh, when I became 21, so I joined the, I started going to bars. You know, so it was really about alcohol at that point. Um, the type of drinker that I was, was a binge blackout drinker. Um, I was weak. Uh, I thought I can hang. I was always the one trying to, you know, compare myself to other people. And my body, my frame, my brain could just not handle it. I was always blacking out. I was always the one starting shit with other people because I just couldn't control 
that amount of alcohol in my body. So what I started to do was uh, I got into a real deep relationship with cocaine. And cocaine was, was, you know, my alcohol bone was connected to my cocaine bone. Like that shit was just, it was like a match made in heaven for me because not only can I drink more, I was, I was feeling like up and low at the same time. I was, find, I was able to find the balance and to really keep going all night. But after a period of time, I started acting hella weird. Um, I don't know if it was the coke or, or just me, but I was, I was doing some shit that was sketchy as fuck. I was doing weird old type of shit. Like, um, you know, it's pretty embarrassing to talk about, but I was just acting a complete fool um, from self-inflicting wounds to talking shit to people, including loved ones, messing up relationship with close family members, including my, my kid's mother, who was actually very supportive of me now. And even though we're not together, she's probably... Uh, one of the best friends that I have, and we have a really good uh, relationship, but I put her through hell. I put, I put her through hell. And even though I put her through all of this chaos, um, she's been there for me. She's been there for me and she's been very supportive. So um, once I started drinking and, and doing Coke, um, somewhere along the line, I kind of wanted to get my shit together. And I saw that my sister was uh, about to be a pharmacy technician or go to pharmacy tech school. So I hopped on that train. I was like, fuck it, let's do it together. And of course I started copying her. I started cheating. And that's how I got my pharmacy tech license. I got my pharmacy tech license and it was like a match made in heaven as well, because I go in there and uh, I fucking start using my manipulative techniques to steal, to, know my surroundings to see what I can get away with. And I was pocketing pills from Narcos to Vicodins to Xanax. I wasn't necessarily taking them, but I was using it to capitalize and make extra money. And so um, really quick, that shit just fucking went downhill. I got arrested. I got blacked out one night. I popped like a Xanax or something. And I, of course I couldn't handle it. So I got into an altercation with a police officer. Uh, they booked me. They, they found fucking Xanax in my socks. So I got hit with a felony charge. And um, believe it or not, this was the night that I met my kid's mother. It's crazy because I, I met her this night. And um, so I go to jail, right? I get out and I, put in, I was put in this program so they could expunge my record because this was my first offense, surprisingly. Um, and... What happened here is that I started completing this program, but I noticed that I, when I would go to these meetings for, because that's what I said, you know, I'm an addict, so they could get ex that shit expunged, but I didn't think I was. I was like, fuck that. Like, this is not me. I don't, I don't live in a tent. I don't fucking um, use necessarily every day. I just like to party. But um, what I came to realize is that it didn't matter how many times I used what mattered was how I felt on the inside and the type of harm I was causing myself and others. And, um, but I didn't realize this at this point. So um, I came to the conclusion one night um, I was in the restroom, of course, about to do a line of cocaine. Me and my kid's mom were going at it and shit like that. Um, I look in the mirror and I'm fucking bleeding, right? 
I'm fucking bleeding. And I'm just like, fuck. What I saw was somebody in pain, you know, lost, somebody that was, you know, frightened, I guess, to see life for what it really is. And at that moment that I looked at myself, I said, yo, like, you know, you never met your biological father. So is, do you think that your dad is a spin image of how you are now? And if he is, would you accept him as your dad? And how would you feel if your kids saw you like this? And at that moment, the absence of my biological father triggered my presence it triggered my purpose it triggered like what it triggered like a, a sense of meaning in my life and it's as crazy enough as it sounds like I had like an epiphany I was just like holy shit like what the fuck am I doing with my life and that's when I realized and that's when I accepted and that's when I started to surrender like dude like you don't have any control of this you know, it's time to let this shit go. It really is. And that's when I came to the acceptance part of my my addiction. Um, I, I never did the 12 steps. I never went to AA meetings unless it was court ordered. So I'm going to share with you guys how I recovered and how I'm in recovery and the things that I use, the tools that have helped me. Um, because I feel it's important to know that there's other ways, there's other methods and be more open-minded about this whole recovery uh, way of life. Um, because I know for me early on, I, what I started noticing in meetings, what I started noticing in people's life is that I was very judgy. I was very, I was comparing myself to people in ways that you know, I didn't relate to them. And I'm not this person because of that. I'm not this person because of that. But I didn't stop to think at what we had in common, what were our similarities. And a lot of it was the pain that we went through on the inside and the pain we would inflict in others. So if you're watching this, I really want to encourage you to be open-minded to, um, if you feel like AA or whatever other, form of recoveries out there, you know, be open to other formats and, and methods of spirituality or self-growth and self-development because at the end, that's what it really is. It's opening up and really growing as a person and coming to this conclusion of acceptance. So I, I want to go back to the, the moment I had in the mirror. Um, I accepted, I surrendered any power over alcohol and and coke at the time because I realized that I don't have the power I don't have the power and I need to just let it be you know um, something that I, I really like to to say now is that I don't have to fight something in order to defeat it I don't and that's what I was doing I was fighting it and fighting it until I finally said fuck it I'm powerless over this shit and that's what it is. I'm, I'm powerless over it. So um, um, after that, I, I, my motive was to get sober because I wanted to stop the drama with my kid's mom. So for two years, out of sheer, I guess, will, I was able to do it because of that. So I was two years sober. 
Um, and the interesting thing is that even though I was sober and we would not argue, the relationship with my kid's mother fucking got even more dry. It was like, it was like, yeah, while I was using would have fight and shit, but there was more affection. There was more like we had more things in common. We would party and stuff together. But as soon as I got sober, we weren't fighting or anything. We just wouldn't even see eye to eye anymore. We were just, it was like I said, it was dry, right? So I had to make the toughest decision in my life. And that was to separate myself from her because I realized that I was not willing to be in a relationship anymore with somebody that, you know, just for beginners, we, we started off, you know, we, we had our first boy right after three months that we met. Um, and we merely stayed together about seven years just because for the kids. And I didn't, I wasn't with that anymore. I realized that I can be the best person I can be and the best father I can be without her. And so can she, and they would probably not serve them to be together and continue this whole cycle that my mom and my stepdad did. So that was the toughest decision I ever had to make because um, just the, the image of another guy coming into the picture, um, I didn't, I didn't want that. And now she has two boys with another guy and, you know, thankfully this guy's a good gentleman. And um, it was hard, it was hard to accept. And um, so now, now after all this happened, um, I moved to my mom's house. I moved to my mom's house, fucking started sleeping on the floor. And this is when the, where the real work started coming in. This is where, you know, after that initial first step, I couldn't just do it out of willpower. I, I'm back in my mom's house. I'm back with all these people that I used to fucking drink and do coke with. Now it's like, okay, what do I got to do? I got to cut off my triggers. It was a person, the people, the places, the things, all of that I had to get rid of. Now, it, it was a bunch of homies that I used to kick it with. It was a bunch of places that I used to hang out at. So I, I guess I was just enclosed to my own house. And in order to, to fill those voids, those people, places, and things, I started, you know, self-care. I started um, caring more about myself physically, emotionally, and spiritually so it could eat up more of my time so I could have things to do. So on a physical level, I started working out. Uh, working out has been huge for me because it's something that um, makes me feel not normal for lack of better terms. And what we were trying to do, what I was trying to do is what I would use is not feel normal. So I get like this euphoric effect feeling when I'm working out, I feel pumped. I feel like I feel a sense of stress relief of anxiety relief. So that really helped me. Um, and that was, that served me very well for as far as physical, physically. So now to the emotional part, man, I was completely I was completely fucked emotionally. And um, when I worked on myself emotionally, I had to really come to terms with a bunch of demons that I've had. I journaled. So I started writing letters. I wrote a letter to the father I never met. I forgave my mom. I, I started writing a bunch of stuff and how I felt on paper. And one day something surfaced. And keep in mind, I'm, I'm, I'm sober now, about three years. 
something surfaced while I was writing, and that was that I was molested at a young child. I was fucking molested, man. And the feeling that I got was fucking like if I was unworthy in my own skin. Um, that's the best way I could describe it. And it's crazy how you're doing so good and all of these things just start to pop up because we are no longer numbing the pain or um, blocking these thoughts that we have in our deep subconscious mind that just fucking pop up out of nowhere. You think it's cool all of a sudden? Nope, it's not. But it's actually a good thing because we get to work on them. We get to confront them. And um, a flashback came to me. I was at a party. I was about 19 years old. And the person that assaulted me was there. They were probably, we have probably like eight years difference. Uh, we knew mutual friends. This person was there. Shit, like fucking drunk as fuck off his ass. Came up to me and apologized. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For what? For what? For what? I was in denial at the moment. Moving forward, when I when this came to light, it came to surface and I was writing it all down, I said, fuck, I need to accept his apology. So what did I do? I went knocking to this person's door. They still live there. They saw me. They turned pale as fuck. And I told them, dude, like, I accept your apology. Years later. And I can see it in his eyes, a sign of relief. I could see in his eyes, like a sign of like, fuck, like, thank you. No words needed to be said. I, I went my own way. And, I, and at that moment, I knew that I had completely accepted what had happened. And it was a big milestone for my sobriety because I realized that I have come to terms with something that was fueling the way I was using drugs and alcohol. It was fueling that shit because I was, you know, fucking hurting myself and hurting others. I would like to show you guys this, this fucking wicked ass scar that I have. Like, you know, this is something that you just don't do to yourself if you're not in internal pain. Um, I want to talk about spiritual uh, self-care now. Spiritually, I was bankrupt. I didn't know what spirituality meant. I I'm Catholic you know, but that doesn't mean shit, you know, so I started meditating, I started getting into crystal chakras and energy and vibrations, and what I came to find out is that the more that I was able to silent my, my, the noise in my mind, and control my breathing, and just focus slowly on it, because my mind was here, it was there, it was all over the place, the moment that I was able to just find a sense of serenity within me and it, it was crazy because the first time I felt like true meditation was me separating myself from my actual body it's a fucking legit feeling you're breathing in and out and you feel like your fucking soul or something is elevating from off of your fucking body and that is something that I felt was like dude like spirituality is real it's fucking real. And it's not something that you see. It's not something that you talk about. It's a fucking feeling. And until you find that feeling, 
you will understand. Um, later on down the line, I started praying to God. Um, I still meditate, but I, I think I pray more than I meditate, and that works for me. It, it doesn't have to be for everybody. It doesn't have to be for everybody, but that's what has helped me. Um, moving forward is uh, I learned about the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind to me is, is huge because uh, I did it through reading books. That's also one way that has really helped me is was reading books. And I learned about the power of the subconscious mind. So we have the conscious and the subconscious mind. The conscious mind runs 10% to 5% over mind and the subconscious is 90 to 95%. And the subconscious mind accepts all and any information, whether that's good or bad. Imagine ever since you were a child, you started accepting all of this information and you didn't know about it, whether it was good or bad, you just accepted it until I started being conscious and realizing what to feed myself, not only through food, through like what I heard, through what I saw, but through the people that I hung around with, I started to realize how important it is to consume the right type of information, whether whatever matter that was. So the subconscious mind for me is like something big and that kind of hits home to like my recovery process, which was acceptance, um, getting rid of triggers, um, physical, emotional, and spiritual self-care and the subconscious mind, which is, you know, the brain. And that's something, that's how I, you know, I'm recovered now. I, I do go to AA meetings just because I do like to surround myself um, with people that have, you know, been through shit. And I do it also because I feel like everybody has a story to tell. And I want to be there for that person that felt like me that at that moment it is like, this shit ain't for me. I can't, I wasn't here. I wasn't there. But I want to point them to the direction as to what do we have in common? And um, that's what my goal is. And essentially that's what I want to do with my own YouTube channel, which is the Grounded Phoenix. And you could go on groundedphoenix.com to take you directly to that link. And I'm also partnered with Team 12, which they host non-denominational meetings. And it's, it's super cool because nowadays it's like, you have new drugs coming out. You have, you know, the youth, they don't see recovery as like, as a cool thing. And I'm, I'm really trying to change that. I'm really trying to, um, I guess, establish and get rid of that stigma along with what you guys are doing here. And I really appreciate you for having me. It's true. It truly is an honor. And um, anybody that's doing anything like this, I'm super happy to support, man. I love this shit, man. Thank you for having me. Nah, dude, the honor is all on this side of the table. Yeah, sure again, is. again, thank you. Thank you. So I want to say thanks. Yeah. Can I? So repping, repping the grounded Phoenix shirt, team 12. Dude, fuck drugs. Yeah. This shirt's pretty cool. Team 12. You know, we appreciate what you guys are doing over there. Team 12 has a, has a recovery meeting. Uh, online Zoom meeting every Friday. They're out of LA, and that's where um, uh, Jonathan shoots his podcast from. So, yeah, and it's a it's a non denominational meeting. meeting. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, all all pathways, right? Yeah. So uh, you can 
like he gave you all the credentials but what'd you think dude like, dude it was uh it was great what what i liked about his story is that he's not he's not a 12 stepper but he goes to meetings. He still he, he will still go to meetings, which I I think is necessary. Like yeah. you know, even if I if even if I'm not uh, a twelve stepper, I'm still going to surround my peop- myself with like minded people. Yeah, and I and I which really appreciate huge. that. But it, I I I always find it really fascinating when I get so much information from somebody that has a different way of doing things, mm-hmm. or I identify so much with. Like you you talk about. Um, you know, certain things that I did in my 12 step recovery Yeah, that you did in your recovery that was not 12 steps. Yeah. That common thread. Yeah, exactly. You know, the admitting, you know, like he, he brings up, like remove the triggers, get those things out of your life. Yeah. You know? And, and like reflecting like the, the four points that he brings up, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual and the subconscious, you know, mm-hmm. those, those things are so big yeah. to, to everlasting change, you know, and, and, and I love it. And, and he went through some shit, dude, like starting really young, like, right. me, you know, yeah, age 12 and then finding out that his, his stepdad wasn't his real dad, which made, put that fucking trust issue yeah, out there. Yeah, immediately like, begins this. a distrust. Yeah. yeah. Fuck this. What else you been lying about? Yeah. Which I can totally relate with. I know. Yeah. And then, you know, the culture, like we said, the the Mexican culture with the drinking and then becoming that guy, that kid that you got to fucking take home, you know, mm, yeah. Be, being that guy, but finding cocaine, that helps. Yeah, I can drink all I want now. Except for it makes me a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Right? Like I can totally relate with uh, the harder, the harder the drugs got, the weirder I got too. Yeah. The less people really just, yeah. uh, we were, I was not having the same experience with anybody around me. Yeah. The more shit I started hiding, yep. like the fucking, the more I started hiding, I can totally relate with that dude. And then, you know, just getting to that point of accountability where like you're looking yourself in the face, like he was talking about, like, really, this is, this is me. Yep. This isn't okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had, he had kids at that point and he, you know, it was just, just, th- is this the kind of dad I want to be? Like, yeah. You know, like this is, he, 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 at that point, you know, reflected back upon, uh, how his father was not around his yeah. real father, his biological father wasn't around. And he said, I don't want to do that. I don't, yeah. I don't want to be that way. And he knew that if he was to continue down this path, that he was going to repeat that cycle. Yeah. And, and, you know, so we, he did what he had to do. Yeah. And then got in trouble. Yep. Being a pharmacist, which fucking, I, could, I wouldn't have made it a day. Yeah. Honestly. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was already a, a part-time pharmacist just yeah, with the, the, the things I was buying. Day. So, you know, but he was trying something, you know, and then, you know, getting to the point, you know, after going through all the shit, you know, the the recovery stuff and, and getting to the point where it was very apparent, even though he was staying sober, that that relationship had to change. Mm. And he went back to sleeping on the floor at his parents' house, yep. his mom's house. Did the hard thing. Did the hard thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and now it sounds like it's all the better for it. Even the relationship, you know, she's with somebody else, but starting into that spiritual work, you know, reading books on the subconscious mind and, and like learning how to meditate, you know, the, the real traumatic issue of his life that he had 
been able to block out for so so long finally came to surface right and, yeah. and he was able to face that face on and not only face the molestation but forgive the molestation yeah which is fucking directly huge. directly yeah, directly not just in his heart yeah you know he, he directly and actively made a choice to, to speak with that individual. Yeah, I'm not living in this. Which know. is incredibly courageous. But, I mean, just think about the, the benefit that comes from this behavior, the, 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 the action that he has taken. Yeah. You know, it's not a surprise to see that he has turned into somebody who is admirable, who is a role model, who is an example to, you know, just us in the recovery community, I can only imagine what it's like in his personal life, his family. Um, obviously, you know, he, he did not repeat the cycle. Right. And, and, uh, and he's passing something on, hopefully, you know, to his children that, um, a, a good example of what a father should be. Yeah. And, and so kudos, hats yeah. off to that, dude. Like for I, sure. you got it, Jonathan, man. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you, bro. For thank sharing you your so story. Much. And I love this shirt. Yeah, that's a that's a Team Twelve shirt. Yeah, this Team Twelve shirt that I'm saying, if you're just listening, all right, that I'm wearing, if you're just listening, says "fuck drugs." That's it. <laughs> On the back, it has a Team Twelve logo, which I love. Yeah. But, yeah. And then Willie's got one over here that uh, has a. I really, I really like this logo. It's just a golden phoenix uh, with some roots coming out the bottom. Yeah. Um, which uh, which you know represents grounded phoenix, um, yeah. which uh, which I think is pretty dope. So yeah. Um, cool, man. Out of the ashes. So. Cool stuff. Glad to support. Glad to get the support. Yeah. You know, these guys are also uh, teamed with with Brainwash Coffee as well. So that's how I repping I came, that Brainwash Coffee, baby. That's how I came across Jonathan was good stuff. Brainwash. So thanks, guys. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks you're for a, being here. You're the man. Sorry, I was a little tired. I cool. I couldn't tell. A little tired today. I couldn't tell. Well, good. Should have drank more brainwashed coffee. Maybe I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get me a cup right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, bro. I'm so glad to be here with you yeah. doing this stuff. You know. Yeah, you're okay. Hopefully, hopefully we're helping some people. This is definitely helping me. And so, with that, I always want to say thanks for tuning in. We will see you on the other side. And remember, you are worth the work. work. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.